so excited to be here. It's true. When I joined my mobs group at, um, at Mariner's Irvine, Maggie was the coordinator. It was her second year. And Ramona was my first mentor mom at a table. And so I didn't know Ramona was going to be here. And her daughter's name is Kirsten, and I am Ramona's other Kirsten. <laughs> I always wondered, why can't you get my name right? That's so unusual. Most people can't do that. So you guys, I was getting ready this morning, and I'm thinking about all of this, totally oblivious to what time it is. And they call, they call me, and they're like, um, hi, um, are you coming today? <laughs> I was like, in my own little world of all this history that's here. And so I got here. So we, we're here. Here we go. We're ready. Are you guys ready? <laughs> um, I am really excited to be here with you guys about um, making space. I'm just going to get all set up here because I think they're going to record this and then I won't stick on that the whole time. Um, I was told that you guys are focusing on filling our cups and being the best version of ourselves. Do you guys ever feel as moms that um, your cups are already so full? Like everything about life is full with like dirty diapers or laundry or dishes. Like your car, is your car full? My car is always full of stuff. And so I think for me, as I think about those two things that you guys are going to focus on, living life to the full, or, um, filling our cups, and then also being the best version of ourselves, for me, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about my story and just kind of connect on a deeper level, like we're all friends having coffee together, because that's kind of how I see it. Um, but I'll tell you, I had to get rid of some stuff in order to even be the best version of myself. As I was thinking about my history with, with these gals, I was thinking, I am not, I was the best version of myself that I could be when I walked into my mom's group. But I am so much healthier and a better version of myself now because I was in a mom's group and all that happened in that time. So I won't judge who I was when I started, but I'm so thankful for the change that's happened since then. I am more connected to myself. I'm more able to connect better with people. I'm a better mom. I'm a better friend. And I have a totally different relationship with myself and God and others because of my time at tables like this. And so I get really excited when moms gather and take the time to do this. And so, um, I'm going to go right in because I think that I think that we have a lot of talk in our lives now, but I don't know that we have a lot that goes deep. And I think that that's what we're really all hungering for and, and lonely for even. And so um, the first thing I want to talk about, you guys, is comparison. Do you have that in Huntington Beach? I live in Costa Mesa. I assume since we're in Orange County that this is just as prevalent here. Yes? Am I right? I'm right? Yeah. So this is the thing I've learned about comparison. And I wish someone had told me this on my very first day in, mom, in, in my mom group. And it's a, a quote that comes from Theodore Roosevelt where he says, comparison is the thief of joy. Maybe you guys have heard that before. And it has been so true. I can have comparison or I can have joy, but I cannot have both. Have you guys found that too? And so I, when I started in my mom's group, I'm walking into a group of a bunch of women I don't know who live in Orange County, right? So that means they're like rich, beautiful, and smart, right? And I walk in, I'm like, I don't think I'm any of those three things. I don't know how this is going to go down, you know? And I don't know, were you guys, were any of you guys insecure as a brand new mom? Were you like, I've read all the books and I've checked all these blogs, but I still, as soon as I got that kid in my hands, was like, I have no idea what to do to keep this kid alive or give them a good future. Was anybody else like that? 
That was totally how I felt. That's why I needed a mom group, right? <laughs> to tell me how to do this. But I was so insecure. When I came to my mom group, I was like, I want to know all the things. I want to be the best version for, of myself for my kid. I am not going to jack this kid up in ways that I was jacked up by my parents. Like, it's going to be so great, right? So I had all this pressure on myself. Um, and I also was not really strong on the inside. And so all of that pressure got, got to be really kind of heavy. But what would happen with me is, at that time, I thought that if I was having a bad day, that that meant I was a bad mom. Do you guys ever had bad mom days, you know, right? Like for me, my kids had issues with shoes. They couldn't find all the shoes that we needed to go out the door. And I was in leadership, so I needed to be there early. So I'd get mad at them because they couldn't find their shoes again. And I come from a, a family of yellers, so then I default to yelling, right? Which then I feel really great about, obviously, right? So I'm standing there in line. We had coffee too, right? So I'd be standing in the coffee line, and I would start to think of like one of those mistakes that I'd made maybe that day on my way to Mops. And I can do this like shame attack, right? You guys do this too, you guys know, you, you know your heads do this too. So my, would, my head would start replaying this normal mistake, but as if I have irreparably harmed my kid and like they're not gonna be okay over this mistakes, right? And it could have been something simple like when I checked in my kid, I didn't have everything labeled like you're supposed to, you know? Or I forgot a diaper and it's like, what kind of mom doesn't have a diaper? Well, the mom that used 56 diapers yesterday might have run out of a diaper, you know? But for me, I would start shaming myself. And God bless the mom who happened to walk in front of me and is having a good mom day. Like, look at her. Look at her kids. They have all their shoes on. Well, isn't she an awesome superstar mom, right? Oh my gosh, she washed her hair and has makeup on. Oh, so she has like easy kids in a life of luxury. Like, oh, okay. Like, I just start making stuff up about this mom, and I don't know who she is, right? Then I start with stuff like, just crazy stuff. Like, I bet her kids ate all their food last night and didn't complain, even the broccoli. And I bet her and her husband have sex like four times a week, and we know that's not happening in my house. We know that's not true. And I would just all of a sudden decide, that mom and I have absolutely nothing in common. We cannot, she better not be at my table. Like, this is not going to work out, right? And this poor mom, I have done all this in my head from because of comparison, right? I don't know anything about this mom. She doesn't know anything about me. And th the truth is we probably have a lot in common, right? If we found ourselves to the same mom group, we're in the same life stage in the same area, probably the things that keep me up at night probably keep her up at night too. We could probably have some really amazing conversations if I didn't let all this get in the way. Do you guys ever let all this get in the way? <laughs> What I have seen from all the hundreds and thousands of moms that I've been around in mom settings is none of us are coming for that comparative narrative. None of us are coming for that. We're all coming for the connection. That's the thing that we really, really want. And so what I want to encourage you guys to do, and I have to remind myself of this too, is to just crush that comparison when you feel it coming on. When you start to have that insecurity bubble up, squash it for yourself. Be like, you know what? I'm doing the best I can today. I'm allowed to have a bad day. I'm allowed to make a mistake. I can be a good mom and have a bad day. I can be a good mom and make mistakes. But you know what I'm going to do? And this is what's different than my childhood. I'm going to go apologize or I'm going to do something better next time, right? I don't have to stay stuck in that place of like shameful attack on myself because we're allowed to make mistakes, right? We tell our kids that, don't you? You're totally allowed to make mistakes. But how many of you like never let yourself make a mistake? Yeah, well, maybe just me, maybe just me. So um, 
So it's really awesome to be invited back here. I'll tell you, in, in Irvine, we didn't always invite speakers back. So it was, int we, for some reason, the only person we ever invited back was Jana Alira every year. I don't know if Jana Alira has ever come here. She's a singer, she's a really powerful story, and she tells a story about losing her daughter, her youngest daughter, in an automobile accident. And this happened 20 some odd years ago, right? So my very first time in my mom's group, um, she comes, and she comes in, in a time where I is the anniversary of a lot of loss in my own life. So she's sharing her story, and I am a wreck at my table. Like, I am just bawling, 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 and I, it's like the ugly cry, right? And so I am just connecting with everything that she's saying, and I'm so sad, and all this unresolved stuff is just coming right out of my eyeballs, right? And at the end of it, she, it was my week to bring breakfast, so she comes over and we're talking. She wants to spark up a conversation because she's noticed this and she's just so sweet. She like wants to hug me and like, what? what's all the tears about? Like, come here, let me give you a hug. And I'm just like, I just want to talk about granola. Like, I can't talk about this. <laughs> it's a lot. You just brought up a lot. And so fast forward, like seven, eight years later, when it's my last year of MOPS, and I'm coordinator, and Gianna's there again. And by now, we're like besties, right? Like, we get together every year when she comes to MOPS. And so um, we're talking. She's like, I can't believe that you guys keep inviting me every year. Like, I say the same exact thing. And I was like, Gianna, I said, you know what? I got to tell you. I said, it's true. You tell the same story because your story's not going to change. I said, but I have to tell you, I am totally different now when I hear your story. That first year, as I sat there and cried, and I had all this stuff that was unresolved in me, and now all these years later, A, I've heard something different every time you've shared your story, but it's resonated with me differently because I've changed. And so I'm not the same person that heard that story, and you've become a marker for me of my journey and how I'm not different, how I'm so different, and, and I can give credit to that. And I knew at that point I was gonna be going and speaking at MOPS groups. And I was like, this is amazing. So it's crazy. So when I started getting back, invited back in the fall to other places, and I started preparing what to talk about, I'm like, dude, it's the same story. Like, what, do I make up stuff? No. I'm not going to create a bunch of drama to talk about. I'm like, it's the same story. And I thought of Jana. And I thought, well, you know, it's the same story. Everything I do, everything I think about, every topic I would talk about is going to be through the lens of my story. And a big thing that I learned from my mom's group was that vulnerability was the path to healing for me. Vulnerability, the things I was never gonna tell my mom's group, I did, and it brought healing into me like I never thought I could experience. And I'm like, how can I leave that out? If I'm ever gonna talk about anything with mom's groups, I've gotta tell them how the transformation took place in me so that it can maybe inspire them and give them courage as they embark on their own mom's group, right? Experience. How many of you guys, this is your first year in M&Ms? Most of you are returning. Okay, good, awesome, welcome. I'm so excited about that. Well, I'm gonna tell you the real deal. I didn't come here to talk about nail polish. I don't do that. You can find other speakers that'll probably talk about that, but we're gonna talk about the real stuff. Does that sound okay with you guys? So, um, so I'm gonna give you guys a little backstory because it's gonna be the lens with which I'm gonna share everything I'm gonna talk about. So my, um, was raised in a Christian, I'm not really a Christian house, but at seven I became a Christian and so did my mom. My mom was diagnosed with cancer and she passed away when I was 12. And when my mom passed away, I felt like my mom was gone and this just cloud of shame just like settled 
onto me and into me. And when I was around other people, I just felt like if you had a mom, I was different than you. There was stuff you knew, there was experiences you've had, there's things you know that are different than, than me. And so I just had this shame. And so in that, shame is, guilt is when you feel like you've done something wrong. Shame is when you feel like you are something wrong. And I took this bad thing that happened and I internalized it like I was a bad person. And what shame does is it keeps you kind of distanced from people. And so there were really sweet people in my life that would reach out to us and friends of my mom's and people that loved us and would try to, you know, kind of not fill that role, but just be, be a positive example and just be loving to us. And um, the shame that I had, it, it pushed, it made me push them away. I didn't know how to receive it. And so it, ha it became something that I would kind of just um, not, not allow myself to receive. And when you're 12, you don't know how to grieve, right? And my dad was my main influence at that time, and so he didn't know how to grieve because he hadn't grieved some of the losses in his life. And so um, if, you, if you haven't dealt with an emotion yourself, you can't help someone else deal with it, right? So when my mom passed away, I, we didn't go to counseling or do anything like that, and I just observed my dad, like, how, how do we do this? How do we walk forward? And my dad just kind of numbed it out. He didn't do any work to process the grief. He was a workaholic. Um, he would drink to make it go away. He was an alcoholic, functioning alcoholic, and he'd watch a lot of TV. So at 12, I'm like, okay, we don't talk about this. We don't really like process any of it. We just kind of numb it out, and that's what I learned. So I started doing that too. And I did it in different age-appropriate ways. Like I could do it with TV as a teenager, and I did it with food. I did it with, with alcohol too. And by the time I was um, in my career and in college, I was a daily drinker, a functioning alcoholic, and nobody knew it. And so I had put all these defenses and masks up. I had realized that if you ask me how I'm doing and I say fine, it's a lot easier for me and a lot easier for you. So I just wore these masks all the time, like, yeah, everything's fine, everything's fine. And I would just push down anything that was intense or sad or the loneliness, the grief, the insecurity, all that stuff, I would just push it down. I didn't know back then that, that emotions are not like a hot and cold switch of the in a bathroom, like, you know? They're not a hot and cold switch. There's one dial. And if you turn off the hot, you turn off the, the ability to go cold. You can't turn off one without impacting the other. And so I didn't realize that, so I shut down all the sadness and all those things that are, you know, more the negative, heavy stuff. But in doing that, I shut down the opposite of all the positive. I, I didn't have a real laugh until probably five years ago. I um, was just having like a fake laugh the whole time. I couldn't understand delight or real pleasure. Like I really would not allow myself to access those things. There was part of me that said, I'm not worthy of this. Like that's not for me, right? It's for you guys, but it's not for me. And that's what shame does too. And so what ended up happening is all these things were so, all these things that I was using to keep the pain out pretty soon was just keeping the pain in. And it just wasn't working. And no one knew what was going on with me because I never talked about it. And so I had this big disconnect from what I projected on the outside to what I had on the inside. And it got so uncomfortable that I finally talked to a counselor about it. And I said, I feel like all this grief that I've been pushing down is bubbling up like a toxic soup and I'm just drinking to push it down. And they're like, we can't just like keep counseling you about this. Like you need to go get some help. So I went to an alcohol treatment program and got sober. And um, scariest thing I've ever done, didn't want to do that. 
And, um, but the best thing that I ever did. And so that was a big change for me in terms of um, being more honest about what was going on with myself, connecting with myself in a better way. Um, but I still was very much closed off from needing people. I was still that independent, I'll take care of everything. Um, God, I'll call you if I need you. But since that whole thing with my mom, like I don't really think you should be in charge. Like I'll be in charge and I'll just call you if I need you. So I still was kind of not my best version of myself, right? So a year after that, my husband and I got pregnant with our first kid and um, super excited. And we go in for testing and we find out that our baby has um, fatal Down syndrome which we did not know existed. And so it was a little, a little girl and we named her Chloe Faith. And Chloe Faith means, Chloe means blooming. So Blooming Faith Ministries is named after Chloe. And so when Chloe passed away, it was the first time that I was at the end of myself, like the end of the end of the end, where I'm like, uh, I, I don't know how to plan for the future. I can't control or manipulate or manage my way out of this, like this is real. I cannot change this. God, you are God and I am not. And in, in the time, um, I didn't like that. In time I was able to realize this is a good thing, that I'm not. And, um, and went through really a whole transformation process with all that, which gave me a better and a healthier version of myself and community and God. And so now when I tell the story of Chloe Faith, it's not a, a story of loss for me. It's a story of finding myself and finding community and finding God. And that's what is driving really everything that we're doing with Blooming Faith. And so I, we lost Chloe and then was spending a year grieving and then got pregnant with our, our, um, our oldest daughter, Sophia. So we have two girls who are 10 and seven now. And so it was Sophia that led me into a mom's group. So I come into mom's group, this is my history, and I make some decisions before I come in. And the biggest decision I make is, I'm a recovering alcoholic and I'm not gonna tell these moms, because these are moms at a church. So they're like perfect and don't have any stories, right? <laughs> and so, and I don't know what they'll say, right? Like I don't know what they'll say, like what if they don't invite me to mom's night out? Like what if they don't think that I'm fun because I don't drink, like how is this gonna go down? And um, plus, you know, I, they meet at church at like 9.30 during the week, like they're not drinking, right? Like I don't have to bring this up. So for three years, we go through the, we have like story time, like I'm sure you guys do too, where you have like a testimony day or you have some tables sharing that you do at your tables. For three years, I told my story in my mom's group and I never told any, anything about the fact that I was um, a recovered alcoholic. And so when my seven-year-old um, was, who was born, now she's seven, they asked me to be the tea and testimony speaker from the stage. And so I was like thinking, well, okay, um, like, yeah, okay, whatever. So I'll share the story. And I was like praying about it one night and I just thought, well, what am I supposed to share? And I just really felt this feeling like I was supposed to share the whole story. Because Sarah, my seven-year-old, is born on the sobriety date of the last time I took a drink of alcohol. It's like my, what's called an AA birthday. So it is Im impossible to extrapolate these stories, right? And so I sensed that I was gonna have to tell the whole story on the stage. And so friends are like, hey, I heard your tea and testimony speaker. I can't wait to hear you. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> you have no idea. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how this is gonna go down, you know? And so it's this thing that I've been hiding for three years that I don't want anybody to know. And I finally am like deciding like, yeah, I'm gonna share the whole story. So this should be the thing that I, that just breaks me, right? No, this is the thing that makes me whole. I go up there and I share in front, and we have a big group, we have over 100 women in that group, and I share my whole story, and you guys, it was the first time I ever felt integrated for myself.
It was the first time I felt like I owned my story and my story didn't own me anymore. And it was so powerful and so life-changing for me and for the women in our group that it changed the way that we gather. We created more opportunities for women to learn their story and know their story and share their story because vulnerability is the path to healing. And when I share my story, it helps you connect with what's going on in you. And we learn from each other and we are more connected. Do you see me differently now than you did when I stood up here in the first minute? You just do, right? When we know, when we know more about who that full person is, we're like, oh my gosh, like you're totally different. You're like way stronger or you're way um, whatever, whatever you think, right? Like we see each other differently when we can see what's inside. And that's what really connects us. It's not the stuff on the outside. And so, um, so that's kind of the story with which I share, I look at everything. So the thing we're going to talk about today in context for this theme is the verse from John 10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and I've come that you would have life and have it to the full. That is my life verse that I've had for a while. And the reason it's my life verse is because I think that the first half of that verse describes the first third of my life. And that I want the rest of my life to be, to be about the second half of that verse. And I don't think I'm alone in having that type of a life. I think a lot of us have stuff in our past that, um, that is really heavy or hard. And so maybe you guys can relate to the idea that perhaps, you know, even with your own story, that there might have been a loss or there might be some kind of, some kind of trauma or something else that has happened in your life that maybe even words spoken over you that are things that, that would be used to steal steal your hope, to steal your future, to steal your calling, to steal um, your, your dreams and your desire to have a future that looks different than maybe the past that you had or the family that you had or elements of that. And so I really want to, to say you have permission to have an abundant life. You have permission to receive the second part of that John 10, 10 verse for you and for your family. And so um, we're going to talk a little bit about, about what that looks like. Um, so that on your handout, there's kind of three big ideas that we're going to talk about. Finding the right balance, letting go of what doesn't work, and people make life more full. So we'll start with find the right balance. Have you guys found that um, th there's a statistics that says that when you have a preschooler, kids under five, that it is that, that stage of your marriage is as... <laughs> Um, unpleasant as the teenage years. Have you guys found that to be true in your own lives? Statistics say that the, the marital satisfaction level of ki parents with, pre with kids under five and teenagers is at the same level, the lowest of all married life. And I was like, that explains a lot if I understand that. When we were married early on, when we had the, the two kids, like one and three, and um, my husband would come home and ask that, really just stupid question, right? How, what'd you do today? <laughs> Don't ask that question. Well, and my answer was simply this. Well, I kept your kids out of the ER and I'm planning to stay married to you today. That was my whole objective. If there is dinner, if there is a clean house, that's all bonus. But really those two things are all I'm really striving for in these first five years. And um, we joked about it, but we made it through. It'll be 15 years this year. So it, that strategy kind of worked. Um, 
But what I have found is that it is hard in the seasons of motherhood. All ages are. Even now that they're 10 and 7, the emotional toll of motherhood is way deeper than I ever thought. I can't, I can't even imagine it. So these moms that you need right now, hold on to them. Save those numbers. You're going to need those in six years. You're really going to need them. Um, but I think that what we really need to accept is that there can be hard and heavy at the same, hard and happy at the same time. That if we wait for the hard seasons to pass, we will put our life on hold because life will always include the hard. But there's so much beauty and so much good, and that I think for us, through our perspective, is where we have to find that right balance. To really look for what's good, look for the beauty that's around us. I had a little sign that said, children are a blessing from the Lord that I put over my, dish, my, my sink because I was a mom that was always doing dishes, and that was my reminder on the hard days. That's right, I really wanted these kids. <laughs> That's right, I did. Okay, I do like them. Okay, I just need, to, I just need a breather, and then I can re-engage, you know? Um, let the laundry wait. I'll tell you guys, I have a new definition of clean. And I have friends who, when she came over, every single time she came over, I'm like, I'm so sorry about the house. I just, I'm, I'm so sorry. And she just got me this sign, and I just, I just leave this up all the time now. <laughs> so people will come over, and I'll just be like, I'm so glad you're here. Just read that. I won't, even, I won't even give you an excuse anymore. And I think that the idea with this is, what do you want, what's the story you want your kids to tell, you know, 20 years from now? What is the story you want your kids to tell? Do you, my kids will never say, man, my mom kept the house so clean. They will never do that. And it's not like my house is a fraternity house, but it is not, it is not, it, that's not a priority of me, for me. It's like, what are the stories you want your kids to tell? Because I can, uh, I have, I have accepted the fact the laundry will never be done, because even if I get all the laundry from the baskets done, they're still wearing clothes. So I have just re, uh, re, just kind of edited my goals for all of that. But what is the threshold that works for you to still be a sane and happy mom? right? And for your house to still function well. What is that? Because for my kids, they would much rather have me looking in their eyes and present with them than doing dishes or dusting or vacuuming or doing anything else. We would rather do it all as a fun kind of um, activity when we're putting clothes away or something like that if it has to be done. But, and my kids will tell you, like, when they grow up, they'll say, we had dinner at the table a lot. Um, there was a pile of stuff over in the corner, maybe, because <laughs> mom never went through that whole pile, but that's okay with me. It's like, what's most important for you and for your family? Make that a priority, and don't worry about some of the stuff that, it, it, I don't know if you guys have a catalog photographer coming to your house anytime soon, but they're not coming to mind, and I've accepted that, and I'm okay with that. And I literally have said, if it's not okay, like if, like I have, I now have people in my life that if it's not okay, like it's totally cool, we'll go to your house next time. Like, that's okay. Like, I'll just find, I'll, I'll find different people. That works too. Um, but I think we just need to find that way that, like, happy and hard can coexist. The to-do list is still going to be there, but how can we enjoy our kids in the midst of it? It's so important. So I have some things that I want you guys to consider. What makes you happy? What, what do you delight in and what makes you feel alive? I know that you guys put a lot of intention and time on your calendars for the things that your kids delight in and are happy about and that makes them come alive. But when was the last time you did that for yourself? We are the ones who are the temperature gauge for our entire house, for our entire family. And I think that most moms do not spend that time. I've, I've talked with moms at the tables afterwards and they're like, I don't even know what makes me happy anymore. 
I, I had to actually talk to my counselor about it. And I was like, well, going to Target alone makes me happy. <laughs> He's like, that's an errand. That's not, no. And I'm like, well, I, MOPS leadership, I really like to be in MOPS leadership. He's like, that's volunteer work. What are your hobbies? I was like, I don't, I don't have any hobbies. Like, my kids are not a hobby. No, your kids are not a hobby. And so I picked up crocheting. You guys, I don't like crocheting. It's going to take some time for you to figure out what you like. How many of you are so different now than before you had your kids? Yeah, there's going to be different things that you like that you maybe didn't like before or something that you used to like that you're still doing. And if you are making time and you have that balance in your life, add a girl. Keep it up. Show some of the other women who don't know how to do that. Like, invite them to the things that you do that are fun. Because there's so many moms who do not even know where to start to be able to find that balance for them as a, as a human and then also being, as a, being a mom. So those are some things I want you to think about. Um, and you want to get under the excuses why you don't make time for delight in your life. Does it because it feels scary and vulnerable? Is it because you don't have permission to do it? Um, or is it because you just don't know? So take some time thinking about that. Let go of what doesn't work. This is on the back side. Changing our ways of thinking. As I shared with you guys about a little bit about my story, I've had so much stuff that I've had to work through, like things that I worked through through 12 steps and through counseling, um, lots of years of therapy. And I remember when I went into my, the, the counselor that I see now, I've been seeing him for four years, but that first day I went in to talk to him, he's like, yeah, I think we're gonna meet for, you know, probably, probably about 18 months. Like 18 months? Like, don't you know all my prior time served? Like, come on, like, can't we fast track that a little bit? And, um, and now I understand that when I'm retraining the way I think about all things, that takes time. And so now after four years, I'm like, I just go in to see you because you keep my head straight. Like you help me think and be who I wanna be. And so if you go to the gym to be, have a healthy body, like for me, I go to a therapist to have healthy relationships and a healthy emotional state. But, but I had to change this one thing was so huge for me that I had to change the thought that I was broken. And I don't know if any of you guys can identify with that word. Feeling like you're broken and there's just like too messed up. Um, I no longer see myself as broken, I see myself as becoming. And I understand that becoming takes time. And as someone who follows Jesus, I always wanna becoming more like Jesus. And why would I think that would be something that would not take a lot of time? That's gonna be a lifelong journey. And so if you ever have those thoughts where you're not enough or you're, you, you don't measure up or that you're broken, I wanna encourage you guys to change that narrative in yourself and to consider that you are becoming. Um, instead, calming our anxiety. Does anybody have anxiety? Either like not even diagnosed maybe, but even just like anxious, right? I mean, for sure. I didn't even know I had anxiety. My therapist helped me show that to you and my girlfriend's like, How, what, you didn't know this? Like I had been leaking anxiety for so long, unaware. Because do you guys not agree? Like what's normal for us is just normal to us. We don't know, I don't know that that's unusual. I, this is how I think all the time. And so um, what I've learned, too, is because I have that negative voice in my head, is that I used to try to bully myself out of anxiety. I used to be harsh to myself to not have those thoughts. And I realized that just doesn't work. And I think about how when I make a mistake, how I talk to myself versus when my kids make a mistake. If my kid spills milk at the table, I don't rage at them like they should know better and they, you know, how dare you? And um, how, how could you make that mistake? Don't you know better, right? I don't do that to my kid. What do we do? We grab them in their hand. If, they, if they're, they're super dramatic and they're so upset, we call them over. Hey, come here. Let me give you a hug. It's okay. Somebody else can start cleaning it up and I'm going to bring you over here and we're gonna, it's going to be okay. I care about you more than I care about the cup. 
right? And so let's calm down for a second. It's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay. Everybody spills sometimes. We can clean it up, right? But what if I make a mistake? How do I talk to myself? One of the things that I do not like to do is have typos or misspelling, like on social media or whatever. I get so mad at myself with that. And so I don't talk to myself the way I talk to my kid if they smell milk, right? I'm like, I get all into my business. And so now I'm learning to kind of stop and be like, okay, hey, Kirst, it's okay. We're allowed to make mistakes. It's okay. You know what? You're more important than your Instagram. It's okay. It's all right. It's okay. We can fix it. It's no big deal, right? But that's not always the narrative of how I've talked to myself. And so I want to encourage you guys, if that's, if that's the narrative that you have, to like pick some different language. Because I'll tell you, when I am hard on myself, I am not loving and patient with my kids. If I just got myself all worked up because I just beat myself up, and then they make a mistake, then I am going to bite at them. It is going to leak out, you know? So there's so much that I have to kind of handle within me so that I can love them well and be patient for their stuff, right? Because if I don't deal with my own, how can I help them deal with theirs, right? So um, what I've noticed, too, is like if my kids, like you know when your kid falls down the jungle gym or whatever, right? And you just come and you pick them into your arms and you're just like, they, they're crying the crazy cry and they're all upset and you just hold them long enough, they calm down, you tell them to take a breath, they breathe in, they breathe out, and they settle in, and then they're ready to go. I've started to do that with myself, like in my mind. Like, hey, it's okay. I'm not gonna rail at you, Kirsten. I'm gonna comfort you and say you made a mistake. Doesn't feel good to make a mistake. It's okay though, you're allowed to make mistakes. No one ever told me that. So I'm like giving myself what I need now so that I can be more compassionate and kind and empathetic with my kids and other people life-changing for your relationships, life-changing. Um, next is um, surrendering our need to control. Control doesn't work. We try it, I tried to control my kids. It does not work. Um, and it does not give us the outcome that we want. It's a short-term thing, it's not a long-term solution. Um, and some of the things that I've had to work on control, uh, letting go of, the illusion of control, unrealistic standards, the mask hiding the real me, chasing perfect, because it doesn't exist, other people's perceptions, beating myself up for being human, and the burden of trying to please others, and then basic self-care. I gave you guys this test last year, but I'm gonna do it again and see how you guys do. I'm gonna give you guys the P test, okay? Not the one your OB gives you, not that one. But let me ask you this. When, you guys, when your husbands have to go to the bathroom, what do they do? They go to the bathroom. When your babies, these little babies are the cutest babies ever, when they have to go to the bathroom, what do they do? They go to the bathroom. Do they ask mom, is this convenient time for you? No, no, they go to the bathroom. Anybody that has animals, what do your animals do when they have to go to the bathroom? They go to the bathroom. What do old people in convalescent homes do when they have to go to the bathroom? They go to the bathroom. Hey mamas, what do you do when you have to go to the bathroom? I get a snack for my kid, I clean up the snack, and then go get him a beverage. I might empty the dishwasher, change some laundry, change some sheets. I might run two or three more errands while I have to go to the bathroom. Is this true for you guys too? It's true for every mom group I talk to. You guys, what is up with that? Why don't we even go to the bathroom? We don't even take care of a basic bodily function that all humans and animals have. That, does, is that not interesting to you? And you guys, talk, let's talk about it. How, how, how fast do you pee? I mean, we're in and out in 90 seconds, right? It's not like we go in there for a long time. So 
I was speaking recently, and I said, what do your husbands do when they go to the bathroom? And one of the mentor moms said, he takes the iPad. It's <laughs> like, we need to talk about that offline. <laughs> But um, you guys, I want to encourage you to go to the bathroom. If you have to go to the bathroom, I have driven from L.A. home without going to the bathroom, and I didn't even have kids with me. I am still recovering from this, and my kids are 10 and 7. It, it takes so long, so start now. Start now. If you need to go to the bathroom, you can get up in the middle of this talk, and I will cheer for you. I will be so proud of you. And so think about, you guys, what is it you need to surrender? Maybe something from that list. What's the biggest thing that you just think, this, this would change my life if I worked a little bit about on that? I'll tell you what I have learned from having so many things that I want to let go, I want to let go of to make space for the good, is that I think that there's a direct relationship between the tension of the grasp and the difficulty in letting it go. And what I have started to embrace is the process of letting go and not just as a one-time deal. You can't tell me um, who, someone who has pain and trauma um, and control issues because my whole world changed at age 12, I should just, I should just release control. Yeah, I should just let go of that. I'm not just going to be like, you know, that's a, I never thought about that. I should just do that. That's a great idea. I am going to slowly, slowly, slowly begin to uh, under, like consider, well, could I do that? Is that reasonable? Would I even want to? What would that look like? It's going to be a slow, slow, slow progression. And so I want to encourage you guys on the journey of surrendering what doesn't work. Don't try to put an expectation on yourself that you're going to let go of something right away and it's not going to come back. It is something I still am struggling with, but it's worth the struggle. Because now I have things that I can do instead of, instead of default things that keep me stuck in those old, old patterns. And I'll tell you, one of the, the topics that I'm doing now is on emotionally healthy parenting. Of how when we deal with our stuff, we can raise healthier humans, right? But we can't pass on what we don't have right? And if you think it's hard now when your kid is flipping out or, or they're pushing your buttons and your triggers are triggered and you are about to lose it, it's not easier when they're tweens and teens. It's not. And so I am so grateful that this became an emotional training ground and a relational training ground for me. I never knew that's what it was going to be, but thank God because it's so much harder and earlier than I expected. With my kids at 7 and 10, the stuff they're, they're pushing on me already. And I'm like, oh, man, I need skills to be able to handle this. And I didn't learn these skills when I was growing up. So how am I going to get these skills? Right? My kids, the thing that I was always mad about with my dad is, why didn't you go take care of your stuff sooner so it didn't leak out on me? So now I have to ask myself that question. Kirsten, are you taking care of your stuff or are you going to let it leak out on your girls? What am I going to do about that? That's my choice now. I no longer live under a house of my parents. Now it's my responsibility. And so we get to make that decision. And the more that we release, release pain and shame and insecurity, the more room there is for all the good stuff that we want. People make life more full. I want to give you guys a new mindset about that too. I used to never invite people over unless my house was like party perfect, right? Which was like once a year for a special occasion and then I'd invite everybody at one time and I really even couldn't connect with them. I don't do that anymore. I'm like, if my house is good enough for my family, the way that it is, then it's good enough for my people. And truly, if, if, it, if it makes you unsettled, we can totally go to your house, that's fine, we, don't, we can meet at your house, or maybe you're not my people and that's okay too. 
I literally have a friend that when she comes over, I don't know what it is, but there's something about my house that's not good enough for her. I don't, I don't spend time with people that make me feel like I'm not good enough for them anymore. Anymore, I don't do that. I don't want that. I, don't want, I just don't want that, that vibe around me anymore at all. And so I would encourage you guys, invite your, invite your friends over from your table. Invite them over. Um, don't wait to have connection. Don't wait for your kids to see. Mommy has friends. Mommy has a life. Mommy talks to other people. Have your kids practice waiting while you have a conversation. It's so good. You guys, my kids are 10 and 7 and still don't know how to do this because I didn't do it enough. I was like, I want to get together with the moms when there's not kids around. This is my happy place, <laughs> right? But they needed more practice when, when, you know, when we were all together. Even though it's hard, it's worth it. It's so worth it. Um, we need our people, and our people need us. There are things that you have been through that are going to help somebody else. There are ways that you see things and things that you think that are going to help somebody else. We need each other to do that. Loneliness is an epidemic right now. And when you look at like divorce and anxiety and depression and addiction in Orange County alone, everything is way bigger than every other statistic around the country. We need each other. People are really starved for it. And so the odds of you reaching out to somebody and having somebody say yes are actually pretty good because most people are longing for the same things. And so don't let how clean or unclean, you know, or how tidy or untidy your house is get in the way of that. People will be so honored. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm trusted when someone invites me over and there's laundry on the couch. That's so awesome. Like, I'm one, that means I'm one of your people. Because you know I don't care. I care about you more than I care about what your house looks like. So I came over to see you, not whether or not you have laundry on your couch. I don't care about that. And if you're a mom with a brand new kid, you better have laundry on your couch. I'd, do, I'd rather have you holding your baby than folding, you know, folding little onesies. That's how I feel. Um, but um, so living to the full and hiding can't coexist. I want you guys to look at this list and see if there's something that you might, I had shared that I was not gonna share my, my, the part of me about my recovery and um, that I was a recovering alcoholic. I was never gonna share that in these rooms. And I'm wondering if there's something in your life that you felt like, oh, I was never gonna share that here, I can't share that here, or what would they say? I just want you to think about that as I read this list to you. I'm hopeful, I'm anxious, I'm afraid, I experienced a loss. I struggle with anxiety, anger, depression, self-harm, alcohol, pills. I've never told anyone this before. We received a diagnosis, but truth about my marriage. I have a dream. I was lonely. I want a soul sister. I don't know if any of those things resonate with you, but I'll tell you, I think the thing that has changed from the vulnerability when we bring vulnerability in earlier is we start talking about the things that we really need to talk about but didn't know how to start the conversation. And what I've seen over and over again is when someone goes first, it gives permission for somebody else to go. And how often afterwards somebody says, for the first time, I've never said this before. I wasn't going to say this, but this is what's really going on in my marriage, or this is what's really going on in our finances, or this is what's really going on with my kid or my whatever, whatever it is. Every single year, I'm seeing more single moms, more moms that are coming in and not sure if they're going to stay married by the end of, this, of the, the mops year or mom's year. Um, real heavy stuff, real heavy stuff. And this is the place to talk about that stuff. This is a safe place. I know your leadership. I know the legacy of this group and how it started. It is just like mine was. 
Um, it's founded on the same things. This is a safe place where you can find safe people. And for me, it was not all my table right away. It was, it was like saying something really challenging to Ramona first, right? And, and having that be a safe place. And then trusting someone that was one of my peers. And then it being okay and realizing, wait, that didn't push her away, that made us closer. And then realizing maybe I could do it at my whole table. And then really, maybe I could do it with my whole group. Well, maybe I could go to random places that don't even know me and I could share it there. And it still works to help other people open up for what's going on with them. And so I want to, in closing, read a verse over you guys. Um, and then you guys are gonna have some time to talk at your tables and kind of see what resonates. Um, Give me one second while I find this verse. It's Ephesians, here it is, Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within, him, within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. For your kids and their kids and their kids and their kids. Because if there's anyone that changes a family, it's a mama. And it can be you, mamas. You get to decide the legacy that you give on to your kids. You have more power and more influence than you even realize, and you can change their futures and the future of their kids for your entire family. And so um, I'm gonna let you guys talk a little bit and see kind of how this resonated, what connected with you. You guys probably have some discussion questions up there. And then we'll come back. We're going to do a raffle at the end. But is it OK if I release them just to have discussion? OK, go for it, you guys. And I'll be over there if you guys have any questions. <laughs>